Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in a sermon series called Gratitude. And obviously it's that time of year about Thanksgiving. And sometimes I think we can miss the 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 profoundness of this one little word, gratitude, or thanksgiving. But what's important here is is a little question I want to ask. Because sometimes to really understand something, you almost have to study the opposite of it. To really understand the beauty of the thing you're talking about. So you got to go to the other side. And that's what we're going to do today. So here's my question. Have you ever noticed that nobody likes to spend time with a complainer, a grumbler, or grumpy person? Anybody here like to hang out with a grumpy? A grumpy old, you know what? Huh. Literally, studies have shown that being a constant complainer, a griper, a murmurer, is actually detrimental to one's own health. So today we're going to look at the opposite of gratitude, which is ingratitude. As we continue here in this this really neat series called Gratitude, Living a Life of Thanksgiving. So Merriam-Webster's defines ingratitude as the failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from another. The forgetfulness of or poor return of kindness. Huh. Ingratitude is the choice to to not recognize good or kindness in our lives. The Bible's full of stories originating from the heart of ingratitude. I mean, one of them, you guys, a couple of them, you guys are going to know these stories. One would be the story of Cain and Abel. You see, the story goes that God required them to come and bring uh, an offering. And Abel brought his, and his was great, and it was well-received. Cain brought his, it's kind of like wilted vegetables, you know, and, and it just wasn't received by the Lord. Because of his grumbling and murmuring and offense and ugliness within his heart, he got upset and he said, the best way to fix this anger I have towards God is to kill my brother and to murder him. It was the very first recorded murder in the Bible. And he did just that. You know that he was marked for the rest of his life. There's another story you guys are well aware of, a story about a guy named David. Now David, he's lived an incredible life. I mean, what an adventure, good and bad, all over the place, from killing giants and hiding in the caves, and now he's in the castle. And he's up on his lanai, like this big balcony. And there on his lanai, he looks out. And and I got a feeling this isn't his first time peeking out on this lanai. And all of a sudden, there she is, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's interesting that her name is Bathsheba. She's out there taking a bath. Woo! And all the men, because it was that season of war, were all gone. Her husband wasn't there. And he's looking. 
Now wait a minute. You've been in the caves, David, but now you're in the castle. You have wealth. You have fame. You have anything you would ever want or need and recognition. You're the king. You can have an entourage. That's another man's lamb. That's another man's wife. And he did what he wasn't supposed to do. See, he went from acknowledging the grace, the mercies, and having gratitude for all that the kingdom that God had bestowed upon him to wanting that which did not belong to him. Forfeiting that and embracing the desires of one's own flesh, and he dove into it. Do you know that that one event of adultery springboarded into a bunch of things? I mean, he had all sorts, literally handing the letter of one's own death, not knowing it, is what happened. He hands Uriah the letter, the order, which gives it to the commanding officer who looks at him and thinking, I'm supposed to put you at the front line so you can be executed. Not knowing that he took this letter from the hand of David himself. Now, if that isn't corrupt, I don't know what is. Commits adultery. Commits murder. Yes, he repented. Cost him his son. His first child. With Bathsheba. Do you know that that ungratefulness of all that God had bestowed on him had left a scar the rest of his life as king? He was scarred with it. Was he forgiven? Yes. Had God forgiven him? Yes. Had God allowed him to, to rule and reign? Yes. But he was scarred. Not like Christ, but with an ugly scar from an ugly part of ungratefulness. I want us to examine another story today a little bit more in depth. And that is of the Hebrews. And their attitude in the earlier days after the miracle of the Red Sea. You guys know it. They had been in slavery and bondage 400 years. They come to the Red Sea. They're, they're, they're trapped in like this ravine or like this valley. They can't go right. They can't go left. And in front of them is the Red Sea. And behind him comes Pharaoh and his army, his, his legion of, of chariots. And everybody's coming. And they're like, we're dead! And God does a miracle, opens up the Red Sea. They go across dry ground, get to the other side. And now we're about 30 days out. 30 days out from a miracle of going across the Red Sea. This is not a lake. This is not a pond. This looks like an ocean. Have you ever seen a sea? I, I remember baptizing some folks in the Black Sea. I'm telling you, it is massive. They walked across it. About 2 million people. They get to the other side. Well, the resources are starting to go away. They're down to almost nothing. But now, they have forgotten the Red Sea a month earlier. And they begin to do what a lot of us like to do. Well, my, butt, my belly's a-rumbling, so therefore I'm a-grumbling. How do you behave when you don't have food and you're hungry? I'm hangry. I'm a little hungry and I'm a little angry, so I'm hangry. And they went like that. Look with me at Exodus chapter 16. Let, let's look here at verse 2 and 3. 
There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. They're upset that 30 days out, they don't have any food, all the resources are depleted. And so who do they blame? They blame the leaders. I know what that's like. And all of a sudden, they're, they're after them. They're after Moses. They're after Aaron. Wait a minute. These are the guys who God used to get you out of slavery for 400 years, and you think because it's tight and there's not a lot of food, the best thing to do is point the finger at them? When God used them to get you through the ten plagues, God used them to get you through the Red Sea with Moses? Yep, that's what we do in a spirit of grumbling and murmuring and complaining. We blame mom and dad. We, we blame the boss. We blame somebody in a place of authority. Verse 3, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt... That's a logical thought, right? They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we want. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Man, you, you may be a real good complainer, but these guys, I mean, these guys, they got a master's degree in complaining. They're good at it. See how they speak? I mean, just as we struggle with our own needs, we too can be just like Israel. We can be like these Hebrews. Overcome by their fear, by, by their need, by their hunger, the Hebrews began to rewrite their own history from only a month earlier. Did you not remember they were flogging and whipping you? Do you not remember how many bricks you had to do? Double them. Do you not remember the selective memory? How many of us gone through something tough and we were, we were so grateful to get out of the thing we were in, but now the new thing isn't as great and we turn around and say, it was way better back here. And all your friends are going, are you, what are you talking about? What are we talking about? That's what ingratitude does. It rewrites our past. We selectively leave out the bad stuff and only remember the good stuff. We better be careful because that one stuff we left out could have been where God was actually moving and we don't give gratitude to what God actually did in the mess of my struggle and my trial. Let's read same chapter, start at verse 4. Then the Lord went to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I'll test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they will gather Food And when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of God because He has heard your complaints, which are against Him, not against us. What have you done that you should complain about us? And when Moses added, the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning. For He has heard all your complaints against Him. What have we done? Yes, our complaints are against the Lord, not 
us. Wow. So the Lord's being gentle. Remember, there are no Ten Commandments yet. That doesn't happen until we get to chapter 20. They don't have any organized religion, so to speak. There's no basic polity or governance going on at this moment in time. They're just previous slaves who are given the basics to move on to try to begin to make a brand new society who basically are going to be the children of God. But they don't have it yet. They don't have any understanding of how to serve God yet. They're just following some guy named Moses. And so God is gracious and begins to do a miracle. By the way, He brings in all this quail, so they had meat. (laughs) All this quail all over the camp, they had plenty of meat. And then the next morning, they got this thing called manna. You know what manna stands for? In a, in, in, if you translate into English, it literally means, what is it? What is it? And they had to be told by Moses, treat it like it is a flower, knead it up, and before you know it, you can make it into a bread. But what they learned was this. God said, just enough for today. And for those who would try to be sneaky, and they kept some in their little, you know, their little Tupperware or something, the next day, maggots, and it reeked. It's like, hello, didn't he tell you? Except on the last day of the week, or the sixth day, they were allowed to pick twice as much, and God preserved it for the extra day. It was a miracle. So Moses, he takes this moment and this opportunity to address, there's a lot of toxicity in their attitudes. And he addresses it. In essence, Moses is warning the Hebrews saying, hey, this attitude, this complaining among yourselves, this underlying murmuring, it's not against us. You're complaining against God. He's the one who did the Red Sea. He's the one who did the plagues. Not us. Wow. I don't know if they got it. I don't know if they got it. You see, we become who we behold. Moses understood what the people did not understand yet. That we become what we behold. What do I mean? If we behold anger, we become angry. If we behold envy, we become jealous. If we behold frustration, we transform into a grumpy old man and a grumpy old lady. An ungrateful person. An ungrateful person who's complaining and complaining and complaining against God and against other people. The early church leader his name was James. He, he really understood this well. And he wrote this in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. I don't know about you, but I, I don't enjoy being tested and going through trials and tribulations and all that. Anybody here? I, I, well, Pastor, the Bible says, you know, go through with all joy. Yeah, I, I know. I just, I'm not there yet. If you are, you're, my hat's off to you. 
How many know it's not easy to do that? But if He gives me the directive, it's because I have the ability to do it. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I might be able to do it over here and over here and over here, but on that one, it's really hard. Well, that's where I need the Holy Spirit to help me. And be careful, Marvin. Be, be careful, child of God. Don't give yourself permission to grumble, gripe, and complain because this is a special situation. It's a special offense. Be careful. Why? I'm telling you, it really hurts to find out why. Anybody else going to raise their hand with me? Yeah. Be careful. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. Verse 13. And remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and He will never tempt anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Did you know that we don't get to blame the devil for everything? Do you realize that sometimes you blew it all by yourself, Marvin? Own up! You don't get to blame, well, the devil made me do it. Hey, you are 100% stupid, just own it. Why? Because when you repent and you own it, God can set you free. God can give you grace. God has never tempted you wrong and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Here's 15. Catch this. These desires give birth to sinful actions. Right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, our actions behave. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Wow. In many ways, the trials, the, the struggles, is the testing ground for a person's gratitude of heart. See, when you go through those hard times where there's more month than there is a paycheck, when you go through those hard times because somebody's sick and they can't get... They can't get relief. When you go through those situations where you have no reason to understand, you have no understanding. What's the reason why this relationship can never come together and work out? When you have the situation where it's just wrong with mom and dad, it's just wrong with a spouse, it's just wrong with that adult child, and you're struggling. Be careful how you behave in your heart. It's that thing that could be very hazardous and dangerous to yourself. Last week we talked about a guy named Noah and how the very first thing after all, almost a whole year of being in that ark with all those animals, man, that must have been quite an aroma, that when he comes out, he builds an altar. Not only to worship, but to give God thanks. What? For all the flooding and all the death? No. That in the midst of it all, God was there. God provided for him and his family for all those animals. 
God got him through it all. So I'm not saying what you're going through isn't tough. It's probably harder than anybody would understand. But when you give gratitude, when you give thanks, you're not giving thanks for that thing. You're giving thanks that in that thing, God is there. Holding you up. Allowing you to get through it. How, when? It's all up to Him. That's why we pray His will, His way, His time. So let's come back to these Hebrews again. But now, you can look at another time at Numbers chapter 11. It's about 800 days out. We're, we're over two years out. And guess what they do again? Well, it worked last time. We'll try it again. Let's get God. We get sick and tired of this man and all of this ridiculous. This quail out of my ears. I'm sick of it. At least we had free fish back in Egypt and onions and leeks. They had this beautiful time in paradise being slaves. Be careful with your grumbling. You'll rewrite history. You'll literally attack your faith in God. You'll destroy it. Be careful with grumbling. It doesn't just hurt relationships that are around you. It hurts the most precious relationship you have with the King of kings and Lord of lords. So what precisely is grumbling, Pastor? Why is complaining so detrimental to my faith? Because grumbling is the exact opposite. It's the epitome of, of being the opposite of gratitude. So grumbling and complaining, in essence, is actually the rejection of the grace of God in your life. You can't see it. You refuse to see it. There was a situation where a farmer was so upset that his son was on the tractor and he hit a big hole. Nobody saw it was there. And it flipped him. And in that flip, he broke his leg falling off of the tractor. Man, the farmer was so angry with God. How did you allow this to happen? I prayed. I, I didn't want this to happen. And the next day, they came from the draft. And his son wasn't able to go. And his unit that he would have been in would have gone to the hottest place of action and nobody came home. So that ugly thing in your life actually might be one of the greatest blessings in your life because you don't know tomorrow. Neither do I. Gratitude. Gratitude. See, grumbling takes the form a small little sins, like the sin of being discontent or fussiness or gossip or negativity or intolerance or impatience or uncompromising and unyielding. and my, The unyielding mindset. See, that grumbling sneaks in to destroy the faith of the strongest believers in Christ. I don't care how long you've been in Christ. If you 
gripe and murmur and complain. And by the way, if you're, you're an older person, let's be honest, you're really good at it. You know how to do it where other people don't even know you're doing it. It's kind of like how, how the ladies in the South would, if they really want to say something negative about somebody, they'll go, oh, bless his heart. What does that mean? That boy be an idiot. Bless his heart. And all the older women know exactly that. They, they go, yeah, bless his heart. Yeah, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. Be careful. God knows. He knows what's going on in Marvin's heart. I know he knows what's going on in your heart too. See, grumbling gives us, it gives us a free pass to shift our focus from our faith in God to focus on the problems in my life. I don't have this. I don't have that. You know what else happens when I, when I go from focusing on His grace and His, His ability to do the impossible? I also dive over here and I, I use this one word. I use this word, why? You ever have the why questions in your life? Anybody here ever say, why God? If you love me so much, why did you dot, dot, dot? Or, why couldn't it happen to me? How come they get all the good stuff? How come I got ignored? Why do I get to be blessed with kids like this, Jesus? Why, why, why? Anybody have why questions? Why did they get the job and not me? Why did they get the big church, not me? Why did they get to have the nice house, not me? Why did they get to go on the vacations and not me? Why, why, why? Why? Oh, God, help me. Help me. For where I grumble, don't even know it. Maybe it's time to examine our own hearts and, and our thoughts, our attitudes. Maybe ask this question. Am I complaining? Am I complaining a lot? Do I look at my life and say, well, this just isn't enough. After all I've done for you, God, Or am I living in a constant state of, I want this, I wish for this, I should have this, I miss that. I'm griping, I'm murmuring, I'm complaining. I'm operating as, well, with a heart of ingratitude. How do you see other people? Is there just an air of jealousy that they have? And you think, I don't know why they have that. How come I can't? In doing all of those things, I take God's umbrella and His covering of grace that surrounds me and I grab that umbrella and I throw it away and now I'm open to all the wiles of every storm that can hit me. 
I was in Iowa and we had a we were at a village inn. It's kind of like a Denny's. My wife and I are having a wonderful breakfast date. We're having a good upper, you know, great morning in the fall, and a hailstorm hit. It was the size of tennis balls. She looked at me, I looked at her. We had just bought recently our, our, our suburban, and we were all excited. First time we were bought something new. And I'm looking at her, and I'm looking outside, I'm looking at her, and she goes, What are you gonna do? I go, nothing. No, nothing you can do. Where am I going? Where am I going to put that suburban that it's not going to be there, exposed to the hailstorm? It thrashed that suburban. Had to take it in. Praise God for insurance. They removed my whole roof. They removed my whole. Everything was just thrashed, damaged because I didn't have a covering. I didn't have a covering. And when I murmur and gripe and complain, I'm like that vehicle out in the parking lot with no covering. I throw God's covering, His grace, and I throw it away. And then I wonder why I have all these dings in my life. So then I complain some more. And then the hailstorm isn't tennis balls, it's softballs. Then I complain some more. And now it's basketball size. You get the picture? See, but thankfully, grumbling doesn't have the final say in your life and in my life. God's grace surpasses my grumbling. He's gracious to forgive me. And the answer to ingratitude does not require a a movement of a mountain in my life. It begins, how do, I, how do I move the needle? How do I do that? Just ask for His forgiveness. I say, Lord, will you show me? Show me how to say thank you. Show me how to bite my tongue. I don't even care if it bleeds. Just help me to stop. Because the more I complain, the more I make it worse for my family, for my marriage for you and what you want to do in my life. God, I need your help. So how can I I move that needle in my life this week? question is, does it include with intentionality, right, Dave Payne? With intentionality to what? I'm going to find a reason to say thank you. I'm going to look for it. If you feel stuck with those why questions? Is it because you need to release something to the Lord? Is there something from your past? Maybe recent past. Maybe way back in your past. But somewhere in your past, if there's something that you haven't dealt with between you and the Lord, that why question is impacting your now and your tomorrow and your future Jesus comes you got to find it then you have to take it to the altar you got to leave it there take it to the foot of the cross and say God I I, forgive me for how how I, I approach this whole situation God it was wrong how I was violated how I was done dirty but God what was even more wrong was how I handled it God I need you To set this captive free, I want to let go of it. 
Paul wrote this to this church in Philippi here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. And he really just kind of gives us what it's it look like to overcome this grumbling thing. He just says it this way, real plain. I like this guy. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Wow. Do everything? Yeah, everything, Marvin. Everything, not just some things. So that no one can, say that with me, criticize you. Wow. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. So we're supposed to stand out. We're not supposed to look like them. Just because everybody else, you know, you remember mama said, if everybody else jump off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge? So the thing is, just because everybody else is complaining, are you going to complain? we got to stop that. Set us free. Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. We all can relate to this. If we're honest, it's not always something we said out loud. It's sometimes what we thought inside. What we believe inside, but didn't have the, we just couldn't say it out loud. But we sure thought it. Church, if you're here today and you would say, hey, pastor, I've been like one of them Hebrews. I've been complaining, sometimes just repeating those complaints in my life. I want God to have all of me, including my murmuring, my griping, my complaining. I want to be able to see the good stuff, even in the middle of a struggle. God, would you help me to have my father's eyes? If that's you, would you look up? Would you pray, lift up your hand? And we're all just going to pray together to that end. Yes, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Lord, I just pray for everybody who's responding to this message that we would all say, God, no more griping and murmuring and complaining. This is foundational to our faith. It stops you from doing what you want to do in our lives. So God, help us, I pray. Help us to say no more to that and to find the good even in that dark, ugly thing. And we can lift you up and say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. Your will, your way, in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.